Yo, what's up? This is Toru, and in a way, so are you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a music producer, artist, and entrepreneur. I make music for that space between the dance floor and the bedroom, which has been streamed millions of times and been licensed by brands big and small, including companies like Apple. I believe that regardless of what you produce, whether it be music, art, physical goods, or even spreadsheets, you have a process, whether you know it or not. To explore this further, I created the Producer Head podcast. Producer Head is a place to have conversations with other producers about their experience and process to share what works and what doesn't, to help each of us learn and improve our own processes along the way. Today's guest is Piccolo, a producer, drummer, and art and creative director based in Southern California. As part of the Plaque Panthers, he offers high quality sample packs and music for the producer and appreciator alike. Here are a few of the topics we cover in this conversation the influence of his experience as a visual designer on his music production, the importance of self-awareness, how to be a strong collaborator, how to offer products that are aligned with the artistic vision and goals, along with many others. All of Piccolo's talent, knowledge, and accomplishments aside, this conversation really showcases his clarity. This is not an accident. Piccolo has clearly done real work and reflection. In fact, in this conversation, he shares his beliefs around the importance of deepening the relationship you have with yourself and how it serves as a foundational piece of success, whatever that happens to be for you. All of that said, at the same time, Piccolo is just a lighthearted, playful, funny dude. This conversation was a lot of fun, and I'm excited to share it with you. All right, here it is. Episode two of Producer Head with Piccolo starts now. What's up, everybody? This is Toru, and in a way, so are you. Welcome back to another episode of Producer Head. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. In addition to being a producer, he is an art and creative director across industries, whether it be cannabis, streetwear, healthcare, CPG, etc. In his own words, his vision is to make cool shit, and I'm stoked to have him here to share the inner workings of his brain and creativity. Please welcome Piccolo to the show. What's up, man? How are you? Peace, what's up, man? You gotta you gotta cue the uh crowd after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we gotta the have little, a little the little black exploitation black kids, the crowd <laughs> of black kids. Yeah, yeah, we gotta find that sound. I like that. Yeah, a little full for bro? the chilling man. Um, really excited to get into what we're gonna talk about today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, really grateful. Thank you for for being here to to share the time. And we'll just jump right into it, man. And it, like I said, in addition to being a producer, you're also somebody who has just a really kind of broad, visual, creative kind of body of work. And so I think it'd be cool to just hear you talk a little bit about the intersection of music and design. So as somebody who does both of those, I'm curious about how you see the two. Are they connected somehow? Are they completely separate for you? Design um, is life, right? Mm. So everything is design and it's all relative. So I do think when approaching music, I'm still using the same my same design mind. You know, when it comes to space design, adding color, knowing when and where to add things, when to do broad brushstrokes versus, you know, pointillism or, you know, uh, taking a sketch and using a sketch as is and appreciating a sketch for what it is versus vectorizing a sketch and taking it to another level or, you know, inking a sketch or whatever. You know, all these things are relative when it comes to layer texture, these things all lend to, you know, a feel, right? It's Mm -hmm. all about a feel and the end result is what it's always about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the process to getting to an end result is the design process. Um, what most people don't know about 
when they use the term design, and design is essentially the science and the active science of problem solving. So you're constantly designing or coming up with the elements you are going to need in order to accomplish your end goal. I think design, it's, it goes hand in hand, you know, and as a, and once I paused on doing music to focus on my design career, I got a chance to develop some skill sets that I'm able to utilize in the design space that give my projects stronger themes, more, you know, cohesive uh, language, messaging. So I do think it's all, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, is there, so you mentioned sort of like really specific steps visually there from sketching to vectorizing things. I'm Mm -hmm. wondering like, are there parallels or are there direct links that you would compare those to when you're talking about producing beats? Absolutely. So like, for example, when I mentioned a sketch in drawing, um, it's the same where production wise, I can have uh, a drum break that I pull from a classic break, or maybe one of the homies plays drums Hmm. and I pull in something just because I had in my head, I had these chords, this chord structure, or I had this melody, right? So I'll just grab something real quick, like drums, right? Mm. And that's kind of like a sloppy way of producing, right? You're just kind mm. of taking something random and say, okay, well, let me just grab this. It's not exactly what I want, but it's enough yeah. for me to lay down this idea, right? And then I lay down my idea and I'm like, okay, it's not tight yet. I don't have the exact sound I want yet. I don't have um, all the articulations I need to make sure that I'm communicating everything when I'm playing. I haven't sequenced it out to make the harsh velocity version for the hook and then soft velocity version or low velocity version for the verses. You haven't done all of the things to polish it and complete it to make it ready for what the perceived market version of it is, right? So you're kind of sketching. You come up with the idea, but that sketch is often enough to, to communicate the idea just enough for an artist to say, okay, I'm going to write to this and complete the idea. Then that artist maybe records to the sketch. Yeah. Then sends it back to you as a producer. And now you hear, oh, that's great. So right here, I'll have horns come in and da 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 da. So it's kind of like the parallel is the sketch is just the rough, mm. right? 15 minutes, 30 minutes to get the idea out. And then if you feel like, actually, I want to polish this up and take it all the way there. I want to see color in the sketch. I want to see hard lines, soft lines. I want to see the difference between the background and the foreground and the character. Mm. So let me start adding more. Let me add um, some texture to the background that makes it look out of focus. And then let me add some well, colors. You know what I mean? And you start incorporating elements to finish communicating the idea. And that's the difference between taking a sketch you know, just that's how I see the yeah. how relative it is. Yeah. What do you what do you see in your head while you're making music? Because it sounds like it's actually a pretty visual thing. You know, you're describing really visual things like colors and lines, textures. It depends. I have different sides of myself, right? Mm. There's a side of myself that's it's probably eighty percent of me that's yeah. project based, right? So based off of something that like I'll be watching. TV, right? Mm -hmm. YouTube, right? And maybe I'll be watching battle rap 
right? And somebody will say something that's, I'm like, oh my God, that's a crazy title for like a song. Yeah. And then I'm like, man, what that song sound like? Oh shit. Like, oh, what if I sampled so-and-so and so? Oh, wow. So the inspiration maybe comes from a raw place. And then I go to sit down and then I'm now in my mind trying to put those pieces together. That's one way, right? Mm. Then you'll have a way where somebody will hit me up. And uh, most recently, it was somebody was like, yo, I need a record that sounds like, it, it, what was it? It was like Bilal, Lucy Pearl, and one other artist. I forget what it was. But it was all in that same Soul Aquarian vibe, right? Mm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that all day. So what did I do? I went to the elements, the colors. I'm like, oh, I'm going to need a Rhodes. I'm going to need a nice, sexy Rhodes. I'm going to need some drums that Dilla would use. I would, I'll take my kick from a record or one of my own kicks and muffle it. I'll take the top in and I'll, I'm now I'm designing based off of what I know you need. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. like, Oh, you want to be styled in a, uh, a gown for the Grammys. Cool. You're probably going to want something that's bright, stand out, shimmery, something. That, so I'm going to use, I'm going to pull from those elements that already exist yeah. Instead of trying to like recreate the will. Right. So again, there's different approaches for different times. And I think for me, when it comes to like accomplishing something visual, mm. what I have in my head is typically the target. And then I do whatever I can. And then I'm satisfied with whatever I get while shooting to that target. Yeah. I don't expect to make the exact record that they requested. You know what I'm saying? But I definitely... Sure. I definitely know that if I pull some of these elements, I've accomplished kind of what the, what, what the idea is. Um, but like in my head, I see, I definitely see color. I definitely see texture. I definitely see the space. And a lot of times what I'm envisioning is your emotion, the listener's emotional reaction to what I'm putting together. When you go to create something, do you generally mm -hmm. sit down with a feeling and then that session that follows is like expression of that feeling? Or are you yeah. have like a destination feeling in mind and you're trying to create something that's going to kind of bridge from where you are now to that space? Is it neither of those? Yeah, things, yeah. Something else? yeah I think it is the, it's the latter. I think it's more about the, or, or, or the second thing you said where there's, I'm targeting, I'm, I'm aiming at something. Mm. It's been, it's been very rare in the past two years that I've sat down with a feeling and I mm. just need to express myself. Right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. all the years that I wasn't doing music. Yeah. All of my music was just a feeling. Yeah. You know, no target, no goal. Just, I want to like, let me fuck around. Yeah. And like, ooh, like, ooh, okay. Ooh, this is doing something. Like, oh, this is not it. Let me move on. Oh, this is not it. Oh, this is it. Ah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, but now it's super calculated. Like, my time is like incrementally like, okay, I have one hour and a half, one and a half hours to, to practice drums today. Yeah. And then when I'm done practicing, I'm going to make a new loop. And then I'm going to, if I get a chance to make a beat and I'm inspired, then maybe I will. But um, for the most part, everything's been super strategic because uh, my role in a lot of places right now and a lot of spaces right now is on an administrative level, 
um, management level. Um, I low key have kind of like a little publishing company developing right now, Mm. small label type thing going on based off of the people that are gravitating and and doing work and how we're bringing work to the same bowl. And it's interesting. So for me, I'm like, I'm just more of a, you know, back office kind of guy. So like I show up to work all day, all night and I'm grinding, you know, Mm -hmm. if I'm not making music, I'm uh, developing the content to bring more attention to the previous project or the upcoming project. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just I'm just different when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, right. It sounds like there's still a lot of time, like you work on your own things, but there's also a lot of service to projects of other people and collaboration. So I'm wondering if you can share, because I think there are a lot of producers out there that aspire to collaborate and to produce for other people. And inevitably that's going to require, you know, the ability to collaborate like in a literal sense, like when you're in the room with somebody or you're sharing things digitally or whatever. So I'm curious if you can share some of the gems that you have around what you've learned working with clients or, you know, or working kind of on the same side of the fence, if you want to think of it that way too. Yeah, I can't stress the importance. I can't stress enough the importance of uh, pre-qualifying your partnerships, pre-qualifying your customers, pre-qualifying your uh, uh, collaborations um, because everything's a relationship. Mm. So one, you should be in a really healthy relationship with yourself, meaning like you should know your skill sets and your deficiencies. You should know your pluses, your minuses, your, your, your weaknesses and your greatnesses. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You should be aware of where you're trying to go. You should be self-aware that you will need mentorship in the places you have not been yet. And then that you are to provide mentorship in the places that you've been in, right? These are all, like, all of these things are important because you won't be able to collaborate efficiently if you are not in alignment with what, if you're not clear about about what you're coming to to the table with, also the gaps that you need to fill in, Mm. right? Um, So... I said that like as a blanket of wisdom because I've been through uh, a, a myriad of different scenarios that mm. have proven to me that you can't just want to collaborate. You have to, it has to make sense. Everybody's got different personalities, right? And everybody's got different goals. In the hip hop space, hip hop was built off of ego, so you find in the hip hop space you'll have it'll be like a hit or miss type scenario where you're trying to collaborate with people and you realize they're maybe hoarding resources maybe not as comfortable or experienced collaborating so you get a lot of weird energy or a lot of interesting scenarios that kind of turn you off from collaborating Mm. when when really you should just be mindful that oh okay see we just weren't a good fit you don't you don't quite understand my sensibilities when it when it comes to this um how how to how to collaborate and how to work with other people mm-hmm. um you, you'll you'll see this in in work environments i know if you i know if there's a lot of musicians watching this they haven't had a lot of jobs but um no <laughs> <laughs> but uh but but honestly uh yeah like in the corporate world you'll get like 
you'll realize you don't, you're not going to like everybody you work with. And often you may need to work with certain people and you have to find it within you as to the, like what capacity you have in order to show up in order for you guys to get something done and get to the end result with mm. as little friction as possible. So in, in a label scenario, you may be in a room with somebody who you don't mesh with socially, like morally, right? Mm-hmm. And But you need to work with them. You mm-hmm. need to be able to ignore weed smoke. You need to be able to ignore um, maybe they brought in strippers and you're a married man. You know yeah. what I mean? And you're like, yo, this is not cool. I'm not really into this. Or alcohol's a trigger for you. Or, you know, whatever it may be. Being disrespected by the artist mm-hmm. as an engineer, as a producer engineer, being disrespected and having to be able to take that to a certain degree to understand like, well, they're they don't know me. They're talking to the back of a head. Mm. They don't, they just, they're talking to a hand and they, it's not, it's not personal and learning these things about yourself and and being able to kind of like find your boundaries and be comfortable with your boundaries being, you know, infringed upon because when working with other people, you're guaranteed, there's, there's guaranteed to be an overlap of like some type of like difference in opinion. So in a scenario where you have to collaborate, you got to be strong and fucking professional as fuck. Mm-hmm. In a in an independent world, you shouldn't force collaborations because you create enemies. Mm. Emotion uh, emotions run wild in the music space because it's a creative space. Creativity in a, in a creative environment, you're looking at the the most sensitive creatures on the planet, the feelers of the world, the people who have to feel your pain and then communicate it to you in such a sensitive way that you, that you are healed from that same pain that you expressed. Right. So these are people who are going to be on edge or going to be, you know, they're unstable. They're emotionally, you know, immature. Mm. And, and this is the environment you're working with. So in order to be, resilient in this space you have to be aware that you're dealing with a lot of sensitivities and you kind of like you tread lightly right Mm. um um, i'm working with a few people who are fucking amazing and they have different skill sets some people aren't really into administrative work and they've expressed that out the gate to Mm. me what that did for me is it allowed me to fill in the blanks for them and allow us to work together without the prerequisite. My prerequisite when I work with people is that their business is tight. They understand what they're doing and they're clear. They have, they're self-sufficient, all of these things, right? I require that so that when we get together, we're just going and we're just continuing to move and there's no lag, right? But when somebody comes to me and they communicate, hey, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, you've leveled the playing field and you've given me an opportunity to say yay or nay with full consciousness. So now I can look to treat you like, oh, okay, you know yourself that if you suck at that, I got you. We'll either hire somebody for you for that, or I'll take over that role for you and we'll just keep it going. You know? So it is being self-aware is the number one thing. Like I can't stress it enough um, on both sides, on every side of it all. And if you're dealing with somebody who's not self-aware, strap in, you'll be get ready for problems. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's really interesting, man. Like the self-awareness and the pre-qualifying, I think understanding what is or isn't a good fit for you and what success is or isn't for you. Those are really, really interesting points. There's a lot of, wow, that was a lot. Thank you. And I think um, you mentioned too, the business piece in general, right? Like the importance of somebody having their business in line, as you put it, you know? And when we talked before, man, offline, you have a really cool perspective about kind of music as a product and the context of things like an art as a product in the context of a marketplace. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just like jumping back into that and telling us more, because I think you have a really cool, I don't know, like kind of theory and perspective about it. And then also in the way that you execute it. Yeah. Coming from the CPG world, right? Consumer mm-hmm. packaged, consumer packaged goods, right? Mm-hmm. You deal with the side of things where you're connecting all of the departments in a business uh, to communicate everything that needs to be communicated on your packaging, mm-hmm. right? And when artists, when, when, I ref, when I'm saying artists, I'm only speaking on people who do vocal recordings, right? An artist that does vocal recordings and wants to be represented as an entity for their image, mm-hmm. right? Um, they have certain goals. They mm-hmm. want popularity. They want, uh, you know, they need traction. They need momentum. They need a good team who can maintain the vision, maintain the whatever you guys have set up for yourselves. Uh, Typically, you want to have a head start independently. So you have a grip on your identity and you own that intellectual property in a sense. So relating to like consumer packaged goods and, and, and kind of like marketing things as a product industry, the industry people, the folks, mm. the labels, they look at you as they look at everything as that this, right. They're looking, they're looking at it like, okay, this is a product like, Oh wait, um, coffee is hot today. Like, Oh, coffee is a hot thing right now. Oh, really flavored coffee. Flavored coffee is a thing. Oh shit. We need to put out a flavored coffee. And that's literally how the industry it's because it's an industry. Mm. It comes with those rules that allow it to be replicated. And then we grow from the rep from the, what we built off the replications, right? This is why industry has always, always been the complaint that, Oh man, these industry guys, they just want another version of what's hot. They're just looking for another version of what's hot. They're not looking for, the next thing Mm. because they can't afford to just pour money into the next thing in in business. It just makes sense to do what's been proven Mm. to work. And when you take risk, you know, you're losing money. You're guaranteed. You're not, you're not guaranteed a return. You're, you're almost guaranteed a return when you do something that's already been proven. Mm. Right. So you as an artist, you're the product to a label. Mm-hmm. You as an artist, your product is almost it, it can be almost anything. It can be, you know, uh your voice, right? Like you can get hired to record your voice on other people's music. Mm-hmm. You can you can sell that product. You can say, Oh, I am a vocal recorder. So now I'm gonna take vocal recording and I'm gonna package that. On my website, hey, if you want vocal recording, I have that available at $55 an hour. Mm-hmm. Boom. And then that's your price for vocal recording. I would suggest if you're watching this, you should probably be around 
$200 an hour, but that's my, any, at minimum, minimum mm. 200, you know, something like that. Um, but like you package that, mm. you don't treat it like, oh yeah, I, I, I do, um, I do this and I do this and I do this. Like nobody respects you. You know, nobody respects you for doing all of the things that you do and you do the things mm. you have to be able to package in those things individually, put a tag on them. And then you don't have to worry about people respecting it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a certain level of respect that people have when they walk into a store full of products. Mm-hmm. And, and most of those products they may want to, they love and they're, but you don't just grab those products and walk out. You respect the system that there's a barcode on that and that's being accounted for. And mm-hmm. if I want that, then I have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you respect that system. You don't even, you subconsciously respect it. You're not like, oh, does this have a price tag on it? No, it doesn't. Well, I'm going to take it. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. But like the reality is, um, if you, as an artist, if you take everything that you're, you have as a skill set mm-hmm. and you find a way to package it, meaning like you give it a name, you give it a tagline, you know what I'm saying? You give it uh, a theme, maybe color, texture, what it looks like to sell this product. You know what I'm saying? Are you selling this product by showing vocal exam- examples of you in the vo- in the studio? Are you selling this product by by covering other vocalists, art- uh, other artists from the from a different time? Are you selling? This? How are you How are you marketing this? How are you putting this on the market? How are you putting it on the shelf? How do people see that they can buy this? Then where do they? Then the, where is the point of sale? Do they buy it directly from your social? Do they buy it from your website? Can they buy it in both? Mm-hmm. You know, do they co- hit you directly? Do you know what is your system? So, like treating everything as a product, like everything as a product, and every person as a product, right? So yourself, uh, yourself as an artist, if you have any skill sets, you can be a conglomerate in a sense. Like you can do almost, you can take all of those things and break them down, right? So you're selling vocal services now. Boom. Let's yeah. say you make beat, you make beats too. Cool, you make beats. So now that you make beats or you produce. Right, and you do music. There's so many packages, so many different products now you can create with those tools. Making beats is not the thing, you know. Making beats is a a tool, right? You can now sell the product of movie producer. Uh, 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 you do mu- movie scores. You can sell the product of you being a you know you you do sync licensing for commercials. You do you know you you do you do skit stuff you know you do stuff for um people who make content mm-hmm. you may do stuff for the dance floor you know you may do stuff for all these different settings that you can find a way to use th- that skill set and the, the, that tool to package that into a different product mm. you know and the more products you have like the reason why pepsi cola and mars are the biggest companies and you don't hear about people competing or fighting and to compete for space with them because they take a majority of the space on the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like if you Google how many fucking companies Pepsi Cola bottles, they package all these other brands. You like you you have four or five Coke products, or like in one sitting. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they they've taken over whole restaurants. You get what I'm saying? So it's just kind of like. Think about yourself as a company who has a who has the machines mm-hmm. to manufacture any type of product, 
to package any type of product. Now, pay, pay attention to all the other companies who have all these machines that they can manufacture product and package product. And how much money are they making? Look at their pockets. Your pockets can be very similar if you're treating existence the way they're treating their existence. They have to hire the specialists to, in order for them, their departments to thrive and put products out and to keep products flying off the shelf. Yeah. You can do the, you can do the same with less effort, just utilizing technology. You know what I'm saying? The way product is perceived in the market, how it's marketed, all these things is all the same thing, guys. It's no separate. There's no, it's all relative is what I'm trying to say. How do you respond to the idea? Because I think if you're a producer and let's say maybe you're in a place where maybe you don't really offer products per se, right? Maybe you put music out and it's available to be listened to, but you haven't necessarily tried to create products and offer them directly to people who may be interested in them. And maybe you're somebody who actually feels like everything that you just described is maybe sort of takes the magic or like the romance out of art and music. You know, what would you, you know, how do you feel about that kind of response or reaction to your perspective? Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Um, For balance. There's everybody has different goals and everybody's got a different, you know, that's why I said earlier, I pointed out that I'm like, I'm 80% project based. So for me personally, I'm all about efficiency, effectiveness, and how do we refine our process? How do we build a system around this? How do we make this replicable? How do we make this, you know, um, something that we can scale, scalable, you know, because that's the space I come from, Mm. right? I guarantee you, if you talk to a producer who used to work, who's worked on like an assembly line at like a major car company for like 20 years, Mm -hmm. the way they think is going to be different than the way the producer who is always worked at the art store or the record store his whole life, you know, they're going to think differently. You know what I mean? And they're going to approach problem solving differently. So when somebody is saying like, oh, that takes the magic out, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like if something's going to, if something's going to uninspire you, it's not for you. Mm-hmm. Anything that's anything that somebody's saying or doing, and if it's making, if it's turning you off, fucking ignore that shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like all of our philosophies are ingrained in us and are delivered to us in downloads for survival, for our own survival. Mm-hmm. Cause some of us are seeking money some of us are seeking peace of mind. Some of us are seeking both, you know, and depending on what you're seeking and what your, your taste level is, you're going to want certain things from life. Some people are fucking are excited to get to McDonald's at the end of their day. Some people are excited to get to a steak. And some people don't care if it's a McDonald's or steak as long as they eat. So again, if it's going to uninspire you and, and it turns you off and you feel like it takes the magic away, this conversation is not for you. The conversation that I'm fucking spilling is more about how to be more effective and efficient in a space where you feel like you're just flailing your arms and treading the water, right? If you feel stuck or stagnant, then it's time to change the way you think about things to maybe become more efficient and feel like, oh man, I, I didn't realize I could just turn around and sell. I just made $200. I didn't even realize I could do that. 
you know, and that happens. It's happening to me in real time. I'm just now taking my business serious, just now starting to brand myself and implement all the things I already know about business, already know about design. I'm just now doing it. And in real time, I'm seeing fucking phenomenal results, you know? That's what's up. Um, so again, if you're like, oh, no, nah, man, I'm doing it for fun. And you're just you're doing too much. It's too much, Eddie. That's not, it's not for you, bro. Like, keep having fun, bro. Keep having fun. Yeah, no, that's what's up. So I think... To the point of, so what about somebody who maybe is in a place where they're like, all right, like I have this and I want to explore, but you just told me a lot, right? And so it's, how do I distill this a little bit? If I'm somebody who's early stage, how do Mm. I, and I feel really disorganized in my mind and I don't know where to begin. How can I get more organized and what can I focus on to kind of take those first steps so that I don't feel like I'm like flailing around? Take the thing that you're focusing on the most and package it. That's it. Take the thing that you that you don't have to be coerced to do. You don't have to be asked to do or paid to do. Take that thing and practice packaging that. Get good at that, and then everything else will, will work itself out because you've been you'll prove it to yourself what what it is, and then do the research. Like you should never take one conversation and just move off of that. If you're inspired, that's one thing, but like take the all the questions you have in your head. And literally look up all of those things on YouTube, get four or five sources, go to Reddit, go to whatever, read a book, buy a book, listen to a book. But like, don't let inspiration be the end all be all. Inspiration should mm-hmm. be the, the spark, you know, and then the rest of the engine and the, the, the car has to do all the other parts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, no, I love that you just use that you know, inspired as the spark and not the end all be all. So can you talk a little bit about how you find a way to work at times when you're feeling less inspired? I don't. Me personally, my process, I've learned that I'm not going to sit and waste time in an uninspired space. Mm. If I get a call that threw me off, if I get something that throws me off or whatever, I Shut down. Interesting. Go. What else do I have on my agenda? I have a million things I need to be doing. Ah, okay. So I get off of that, move on to the next thing. Same thing you've learned when you were taking tests in school. Don't stay stuck on a problem too long. Move on, finish the rest of the test, double back. By then you might have the insight you need to come back and answer this question. Man, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And that's, I think, maybe one of those kind of things that, because I feel like it, from in my experience, maybe, I don't know if I would have said it quite as well, but I think I've had that experience, you know, like I have multiple things that I'm working on. And I think, sometimes I think I still fall into it, but in the past, I think I've done things like, no, like I'm stubborn and I'm just going to keep grinding on this one thing until it's done. But I think everything, myself and that thing that I'm working on suffers, you know? as a result of just not being like, you know, it's just not the right time. Go work on something else. Come back with a fresher head or perspective on it, a little bit of space. And that can really change a lot. So what you just said, really, that really hits for me, man. I really feel like I experienced that. Yeah. Otherwise it's forced. Yeah, man. I it's guess also the- discouraging because you're practicing being discouraged. So like you, like you're spending time now investing in the def- defeated energy, you know? 
it's like always uh, always be celebrating a win always be pushing yourself to to, to be in the space where you're like oh shit it's not good okay bad it's like anything else an argument you're like okay we're not getting anything accomplished here let me go over here and da, 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 because otherwise he's going to keep bringing me and it's going to be harder to climb out that you know yeah man i'm really continuing to see like kind of the importance and like kind of value of self-awareness you know for you and so i think man that's such a cool like core thing to like have what would you like to share if anything around helping people you know develop that because it's such a i feel like it's a term that we hear a lot but it's a really difficult thing to you know it's not like if you want to get stronger lift weights you know i feel it feels like it's a it's a more nebulous thing to kind of chase or develop I mean, if you want it to be philosophical, you could totally use the weightlifting thing as a as a concept, right? We all have we all have target goals for our bodies, right? You may want to, you may want to like, oh man, I'm going to be fucking buff. You don't just <laughs> run to the to the fucking gym and go pick up the heaviest weights you can and just push yourself to break your arms off and shape to like in order. That's not how you do it. It mm. takes practice. Like taking the small moments, right? You got to do reps. So you do just enough so you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> because because people are afraid of their truth. Mm. They're afraid to reveal their truth to others because others will judge them and they feel like that'll keep them from having the relationships they want, from the success that they want, the access that they feel like they need. You know what I'm saying? And it is true. Those are real fears, but that are real things. Like, um. You will get shut off. You will get judged. You will get treated differently because of the things that you reveal about yourself. So you you walk around practicing hiding yourself from others, and you spend a lot of time in so many social climates where you practice more hiding than you do sitting with yourself. So when you take the little moments, dude, and be like, you know what? Right now, I'm feeling like melancholy. I don't really feel like up or down and i'm kind of like i don't know why that is let me find out why that is right and as you're going through your path some of you assholes are going to think about everybody else and what they're doing to make you feel this way but the reality is if you don't follow if you don't walk yourself through this path and you should do you should practice getting fast at this but walk yourself all the way back to yourself Keep walking until you find yourself again and realize where you went wrong in your decision-making, in your lack of discipline, in your over-disciplined reality, in your, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever it may be, you have to be able to walk yourself back to where you went wrong. And the more you practice that, the stronger you'll be at self-awareness because that's all it really is. You know, you could say, damn, I went to this event where I know my enemies were going to be at. And this, this, this guy tried to challenge me and I kind of like, fuck, like I could be like, oh, this guy shouldn't have challenged me. But then I had to think about, man, did I bring myself around my enemies? Did I just bring myself around these guys who don't like me? Who did? And they're going to be like, you know, they're going to be a, some kind of way. If you do anything that you know, it's like, how do I explain it? You have to be able to take onus and practice taking ownership over everything. Yeah. 
every decision you make and everything that happens to you as well. And, and when you catch yourself pointing the finger, you definitely need to take a moment to really identify where you went wrong. And I guess that's, it's just universal thing because mm. it's not just something you're doing in your art. It's something you have to practice in life mm. because you, your art is imitating life and so on and so forth. So when you realize, oh man, the reason why I haven't, oh man, Toru, I haven't gotten back to you. Fuck. Why am I? Oh man. Why am I? Oh man. I haven't gotten back to you. I, I'm, I'm late on sending you this and, why am I not? I'm not, I can't blame you. I can't mm. be like, oh man, why are you putting pressure on me to get this done? You know, no. Like I had to be like, oh shit, I agreed to doing this, didn't I? I did. I agree. I did agree to do this. So let me make sure that I'm holding myself accountable to where, like, oh shit, I need to. I need to stop failing. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm late on something. Oh, pardon the lag. Pardon the. You know what I mean? I don't really necessarily need to give you an excuse because the excuse is not for anybody but yourself. You know, it's just more about practicing. Oh shit, I'm fucking up. I need to be on top of it. I need also, uh, and I'll end with this for this subject. It's really about being connected to your integrity and knowing and your reputation. Mm. And as you move further in life, you realize your reputation lasts longer than your money does. You know, so you have to say, what do I? What do I want people to think say about me when they talk to other people about me? Like, I, w- I don't want to give anybody a reason to say that, oh, you're a snake or you're not a professional or you're blah, 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 blah. And if they can say that about you, they can actually back it up with something that you've been self-aware with. You maybe g- gave them something that they didn't know. You know, you if you came to the space and you said, hey, bro, before we do this, I'm super swamped these days. I have a lot going on. I'm trying to do this, this and this. And I may be a little loose with the communication. I made my correspondence maybe a little laggy, bro. So forgive me ahead of time. Then as we move on and we're communicating and I'm lagging on communication, you're kind of like, oh, he said this was going to happen. So self-awareness is just, it's one of your strongest tools, man. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, that's, you just dropped a lot in there. Thank you. I hope if you're listening to this, you go back and take some more of that in. The last thing that I wanted to touch on around some of the the business related stuff we're talking about, because we kind of, I don't know, you just dropped some things and we just had to follow that, I think. But there was another piece about business we had talked about before, which was sort of like this is maybe, I don't know, one of those voices where people avoid at times the, the product aspect or implementation of art and for the reason of feeling like it makes them a sellout or that it's the act of selling out and that that's a, I don't know, that, that it, ha- it carries a really negative connotation. And I wanted to hear you speak on that a little bit as well. I think it's important we don't skip over the fact that the concept of selling out is, uh, was given to us when we started to empower ourselves through our struggle. So taking things that were put used against us to keep us down, taking those things and using those things to make a dollar out of them, creating the whispers of division from people who weren't able to harness or be resilient enough to take a negative situation and turn it into a positive. It makes the people who aren't resilient envious towards the people who are resilient by saying they're sellouts. 
Mm-hmm. What that does is it creates the the environment that if you do something for yourself, that is what's the word? But there's and there's a large gap between you and the and the other people that you maybe came up around or were or or, or the community that you came from. If you do something that separates you, then now you're a sellout, right? And one, that's an illusion. That's an illusion. There's no such thing as selling out. And if you were really going to use the word, because that's a that's a slang term, selling out, right? Because if we're going to use the actual words for what they, they, they represent, back to talking about product, um, when you're putting a product on your shelf, the best thing you can do is sell out. The best problems you can have is not being able to produce fast enough for your customers. Business is about supply and demand. So product that you're putting out should be based off of demand, uh, typically, right? And when you're talking about art, um, if you notice art galleries, the way art galleries work, it's like if you are invited to an art gallery, typically you've bought art before because they're only going to deal with people who buy art. An art gallery is not a situation where, like Disneyland, you know, where it's like, oh, we paid $30 to get in here and walk around and just, you know, I'm going to sit on this painting, you know, like, no, it's like, the reality is, it's like, these things are, when you're putting out product based off of what your product is and the demand, now you have levels of exclusivity, you have levels of obscurity, and then based and then based off of those things, you can price those things differently. But it's all about perception. If you if you make people realize your product is rare, right? Let's say the only place you can get my product is here on my website. Now that made that product way more rare. Only thirty people can say that they actually have my album and sit here and have have the physical album. They've got the download, unless they're passing it around. But the, the people who purchased it and have an original copy. There's only a handful of people out of all the people who follow me, all the people who engage, right? Mm-hmm. So, but but being being a sellout means what to who, right? So let's say I, as a hip-hop artist, hip-hop producer, let's say I take a sound pack, put out a sound pack, or take a sound pack, put out an album using just that sound pack, right? And I use all the elements from the sound pack, and if you know, you know, producer, sound pack type thing. Like, oh, if you know, you know that, oh, you, I know what pack he used, right? But Lil Wayne heard that album that I did, and he wants to record over the whole album. And now overnight, I'm this fucking rock star producer who used the whole sample pack to get big, right? Now, whether... I make really good beats or not on the side for real. And I can do it on my own. And, you know, I can show and prove that later. That doesn't matter. Like to some people, I will be a sellout to some people. I will be a sellout. If I was a rapper or an artist, you know, and, or a vocalist, let's say I was a young lady uh, who, let's say there was a young lady out uh, young coming up and she was really good at rapping. And she was really, really good. And she, um, had all the lyrical skills. She checked all the boxes, right? The voice, the presence, everything, right? Stage presence, everything. And she grows up in an era where unless you are sexualized and overly sexualized as a woman, you cannot be successful, right? So if she goes and gets her body done, right? Is she considered a sellout? 
Did she sell out her art? Did she take the, the purity of the, the art form and just package it in some bubble wrap with like this fancy glitter bedazzled body? And now she's selling records. Is she a sellout for that? You know what I mean? Like by by definition of the slang term, she would be a sellout. You know, but by culturally based off of this day and age in this era, she's just being a smart businesswoman by doing what it takes to enter the market and hit the margins that her goals are. Right. So it's tricky. It's all perspective. It's all perception thing. It's all like that and all what you you want individually. But when it comes to selling out like me personally, I think that once you get into the business of making money. The goal is to sell out. Now, if you're re- truly somebody who's like, I do it for the art and it's the culture, it's the art, then nobody will ever know you're fucking doing it. You would be a monk somewhere up playing the mandolin mm-hmm. on a mountain somewhere. You get what I'm saying? But that's not your vibe. Your vibe is you turn the camera on every time you get a chance. You know, you want people to see you playing the, you know, you want it, you want, you want it. So you're trying to sell outwardly and get as many of your products to sell out the store, out the door. So that that, that conversation is dead. Just like the, the biting conversation is dead and all that. Like it's. No, that's cool, man. I mean, it sounds like in a way it's sort of some self-awareness of, you know, why you're making music, you know, and generally you want somebody to hear it, I think, you know. I think with that, man, I want to get into a little bit about your process and and how you make beats. And let's start with like the use of samples. What rules do you think are important to keep in mind while sampling? Are there samples that are that are off limits? Do you think there are samples that legitimize or delegitimize the quality or validity, you know, of music? There are no rules, man. It's art, man. There's no rules, man. Come on. You know, (laughs) there's no rules. I've seen paintings with a whole shoe glued to the canvas like what are we doing you know like there are no rules the people who make rules are people who have limitations from with themselves and they're they're holding themselves back because they're in fear of what they can accomplish cannot accomplish as well as allowing people want to create this exclusivity and keep people out of something because they have this impoverished mentality lack Mm -hmm. mentality where they feel like there's only one slot, right? So mm-hmm. the only reason why you would ever tell somebody, hey, you shouldn't do that is because you're so, you have such a strong conviction in your spirit that like, oh, you would get in trouble for it, mm-hmm. you know? And there are no rules. If you think about sampling, sampling, the concept of sampling broke the rules already. So to make rules around theft, this is like organized crime. It's like, oh, like, us criminals, we have a code between us. It's like there's no snitching. Yeah. Like that's a that's not a rule that exists <laughs> anywhere else other than in, in crime settings. Like you have to be breaking the rules already in order to start abiding by that rule. So the so the concept of sampling, no, bro. Like my process, I don't believe there's anything off limits. There's times where I've gone to sample something. And be like, ah, nah, man. So-and-so killed that shit, bro. I'm not even gonna fuck with this. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's times yeah. where that happens, but that's a personal, like, 
Uh, uh, it's like, I already know people are going to be comparing in their mind my version to this version, and it's not worth doing, you know, um, sometimes. And then sometimes I'm like, man, that version was all right, but watch what I can do with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So sampling, I do think that there's too much stigma around what can and cannot be sampled. Um, how much of something you can sample? Like mm-hmm. if you're sampling and then now you're going to tell somebody how much the sample is the most ridiculous thing, mm. you know? So yeah, man, some people get blackballed and disrespected and they lose their access to certain things because of how they treat the music. So share with us how your process typically works around making a beat, you know? I mean, I can appreciate that there's probably a good bit of variety and there's not one way that mm-hmm. you do things. I'm a reason user. So um, I'm actually, today I'm actually going to go pick up an NPC live. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm going to master that for my um, outside performances and stuff. Use it as nice. my SP. I'm an in-the-box producer right now. And uh, I do all digital stuff. So I have a keyboard controller. And these days I've been, um, because I've been practicing drums and learning drums, I've created like about 50 grooves. And so these days I've been taking those grooves and chopping them up or using them straight out. I also use, I also start, I typically will start, these days I've been starting with drums because I've been hanging around a lot of hip hop producers, boom bap producers, lo-fi producers, chill hop producers. And so for me, a lot of that is centered around the drums. So if the record is a drum heavy record, then I start with the drums and I make sure the drums are tuned exactly how they need to be. And they sound beautiful. So if I imagine the music dropping out and the drums hitting, the drums, like, this is, oh, this is it. I, I feel it. This, this is all I need. And then add layers until I'm content. Sometimes I'll stop and send it off to somebody to put bass or piano on it or, or whatever. And My process is simple. I they, Lately, I've been starting with drums. I haven't, I haven't sampled off of a piece of vinyl in maybe a year. I'm about to switch that up now that I got the MP standalone. I'm going to be, you know, uh, hooking up my turntable, probably buying a new needle for my, uh, my girl's got a pair of um, Technique 1200s she's had for, you know, her whole DJ career up until now. And then going to be sampling off of records again, just trying different techniques because you get different feels when you try different techniques. My process is mostly just, fucking slap some shit together until it keep keep slapping until it's done slapping yeah no i'm really stoked to hear what you do with the with the mpc live when you pick that up man it's exciting how do you get inspired to make music where does it come from everywhere hmm. everywhere and everything again like i said if i'm i'm 80 80 project based i'm mostly project based so I have an ongoing list of projects that are going on. I have a compilation album where is uh, we're putting vocalists over beats. I have three or four sound packs being built in different styles. I'm also managing and looking over other people's pr- projects, right? So as I'm taking my inspiration breaks, right, yeah. where I'm or don't have inspiration, I'm like, okay, it's time to go replenish and rebuild. Let's get on the phone. Let's talk business. Or let me go absorb some media, you know, and see what's popping and see what's new and see what's going on. And or feed myself through somebody else's creativity through movies or whatever it may be, right? 
And then I'll get a spark like, oh shit, that would be crazy if, oh, cause I'm always making the connections. So I was like, oh man, what if we did a skit where we brought this from here to there and did it, oh, that would be crazy. And we could take that vocal or like my girl be sitting next to me. She'll be like going through reels or TikTok. I'm like, what was that? I'm like, send that to me. So she'll send it to me. Then I'll send it to the group. You know what I mean? And then they'll be inspired by something. Oh, this is what you sent me earlier. And then that'll inspire me. So there's so many different ways. And it's just about, you know, pulling from everything in life. You know what I mean? Are there any musical influences that you feel like you want to highlight or share that have kind of gone in to help you developing, you know, the sound that you have? I'll say the whole Soul Aquarium movement, the whole Uma, Dilla, Dilla Quest, D'Angelo, Q-Tip. Rafael Sadiq, because I was raised on jazz. Mm. So so I wasn't, so by me, when I knew I was going to be trying to say, hey, dad, listen to this. All hip hop is not bad. Because that was what I was trying to prove the point. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that was his thing. He was like, you're not listening to that shit. It's fucking, I mean, I was raised, I was born in 81. So mm-hmm. you got to imagine the hip hop, when I became a young guy, hip hop was fucking killer be killed type shit. It was wild. Yeah. But um, to the media, they were burning CDs, tapes, all types of shit, right? And um, for me, I was like trying to prove a point to him, like, "Hey, yo, man, look, look at, look at this stuff." I wasn't even a Tribe Called Quest fan. I just loved the music, the beats, and trying to prove to him, like, "Look, dude, like they listen, they they love jazz. Like mm-hmm. we love jazz as hip hoppers." And so. Yeah, that was like, yeah, it's always been, it's always been those guys, the Dillas, obviously the, you know, Pete Rocks, not as much, not so much Premiere, even though Premiere influenced me to understand like space design and like, you know, how simple, how you don't have to do much for a rapper to get on it and go crazy. You know, Premiere's got some of the dopest rap beats ever, you know what I'm saying? Um, And so does Timbaland with a bunch of shit going on, you know? Um, But again, uh, I think Timberland is one of those influences too. Neptunes, you know, Pharrell, all the all the major guys, everybody that we were all exposed to. And then I can't even begin to mention all of the soul and jazz influences. I feel mm-hmm. that's more that's more in my DNA than in my post my epigenetics. You know what I'm saying? So so yeah, cool. but I, I I definitely listen to a lot of that stuff. So the last little section I want to get into before I hit you with these like one liners is just. I think, you know, you've done a really cool job in the way that you like release and package things, you know, your sample packs, even if anybody goes to your website, it's just so organized and just fun to, it feels like an experience. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit of your thought process and philosophy behind how you think about releasing and packaging a sample pack, for instance. I've had to learn a lot by the, by the culture, by the existing mm-hmm. culture of sample packs. 2019, I actually developed three sample packs and I was introducing them through another page and I wasn't getting any traction. And then I realized, oh shit, like motherfuckers don't know where these packs are coming from and they don't even know why it matters Mm -hmm. to pay attention to these packs. So I decided to double back and develop my producer career so people can see, oh, I like the way he thinks production-wise. I like I like his sound. I like what he does. And then also building up the network for people to see, like, oh, shit, like, 
not only is he good, but all the people around him are really good. And then so that anything that the camp does that comes out of this space, people respect. Right. So there's that social element of like fucking clout. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I hate, but it's like people don't see past clout. I don't know why. And then so taking the political movements of, you know, working with people who are not me. but have the same sensibilities as me, right? Smokes, Smokes is a different producer than I am. Mark Knox is a totally different producer than I am. Ilian Roswell, a different producer than I am. And all of us are completely different. And when packaging something, brand recognition, Piccolo, right? It couldn't just be sound packs by the 16 group or Think Tank. Mm-hmm. Like you would be like, who the fuck is 16 group or Think Tank? Who the fuck are these guys? But you know who Piccolo is. So now when now that there's brand recognition and you fall in love with the guy and the brand and the swag and the style and the energy and the movement and the message, now when we package something and we put it out, it could be the exact same product as the person right next to me. But you're gonna be gra- you're gonna gravitate towards it because you like the brand. You're you're there's brand recognition, you're comfortable with these this brand. You actually want to show support. You don't even want to be seen not showing support. That type of thing. I try to follow the same rules in CPG. You want brand recognition. You want message that makes sense. Why am I, why is, why do you need this product? This product was designed specifically for you, with you in mind. These people, the guys who chop breaks and want different cool little random things to have in there, you know, somebody who wants to be able to on the fly download drums and use it on their Koala app. Or da 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 like things like that. <laughs> Finding a target and then attacking them, doing ad spins. I did very small, small ad spins. So again, bro, like when when packaging something, you just kind of think of all the elements that a company would think of, right? We gotta figure out point of sale, we gotta figure out how they get it, you know, the quality of it. I'm still working on at advertising stuff for it to be able to communicate how to use these things. So I'm still in the middle of putting together the content to promote this, right? But but at the end of the day, you just try to treat everything like it's a product. Um, I'm not doing the thing where I spend six months promoting it, drop it, and then another six months promoting it and focusing on one product. Mm-hmm. If I were to do that, I would definitely get more concentrated energy around the product specifically but because i came into this space as a a brand developer and a product developer my what you need to see for me is by time you're before you're done drinking this water i've already fucking i'm already selling you another product Mm. for me personally because you need to see me as a factory they're like oh shit we need to go over here and get it get our shit together and get it out through these guys right Mm -hmm. versus um, I'm competing with this guy. I don't want you to feel like you're competing with me because if you com- you're competing with me, you're not engaging with me. You know, you're watching and you're getting out and you're watching and then you're trying to get back to the lab versus like feeling like, oh, I'm not, I'm not trying to compete with this guy. This guy just, he's just doing his thing. So let me like, I want, I want a piece of that because yeah, like, oh shit, this person got it. FOMO. I want, I got FOMO now because Oh shit, Mark Knox is flipping your drums. And, oh, Delhi got beats flipping your drums. It's ridiculous why people 
respond to things like that, but they do. Familiarity, brand recognition. Mm. If their brand that they're more familiar with is is fucking uh, 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 buying into this product, they're going to buy the product too. It's, it's product placement. So yeah, that's that's kind of like, you know, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, no, yeah. this message brought to you by Avion Water. No, Man, so I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, like what I was going to say, but I think you brought up something interesting. Uh, what did you say that? It's, so it's really it's not naive. It's naive actually. <laughs> backwards. It's naive backwards. Mirror image. So what you said about sort of like you know when before you're even done consuming what you've already purchased, I'm already selling you another thing. And I think what's interesting about that is to kind of kind of remove it. It's not a special occasion that I offered you something. This is just what I do. I continuously offer things, and this is just one of the things. And I think that is a really, I don't know, it's just something I noticed. And I think that's a really cool way to think about it. I don't even know if that's really how you would think about it or how you meant it, but that's kind of what I heard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool, really cool way into not sort of, because it's like, I don't know, I feel like it kind of encourages you, maybe don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't mm-hmm. get overhyped in one thing mm-hmm. and just treat everything sort of like an experiment and it doesn't need to be perfect. You can get it the next time around. Yeah, most people, most professionals who are fucking successful will tell you 80% out is great. Get drop it at 80% and keep pushing. Yeah. And double back. Take notes and move and move on and drop and drop it up. Because they I well, that's when we're thinking retail. If you notice, companies can't even sell out of their product and phase out their old product before they're introducing a new one. A lot of times they're 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 they'll share shelf space with themselves. You know what I'm saying? You'll have this version of something. You'll have the the the, the nighttime non-drowsy. Then you'll have the daytime drowsy. Then you have the daytime non-drowsy. Then you have the daytime non-drowsy for kids. Then you'll have the daytime non-drowsy for kids w- with strawberry flavor. Then you have it with no allergens in it. Then you have it with, and it's great because guess what? Those are all different price points. Those are all different products. One number on that skew change is a whole nother revenue stream from a whole nother demographic. And if you're thinking volume, because that's what people are looking at. People are looking at catalog, you know, they're looking at the volume because you could have done one great thing. Like look at Lauren Hill. Why is Lauren Hill not mentioned with the, with like, why is She's like great for one thing that she did at one time. And it was so great and so impactful that it's like, oh, Lord Hill, you know? But at the end of the day, when you're looking at business and you're looking at the numbers on the back end, she can only make so much fucking residual income from the one thing that she did. Now, has she done four more things just like that? You get what I'm saying? Or, or found a way to market what she wants to do. Like, let's say she hates the music business. She opened up a fucking music school. Maybe she opened up a, you know, she did something outside, whatever. But the idea is to not put your eggs in one basket, like you said. And treating everything like an experiment, like you said. Because it technically is. Now, I don't encourage people to, if you were inspired or you were, you got the message to take this one thing and, Stretch it out as long as you can. That's what you're supposed to do. Because mm-hmm. you can be successful in a different way 
doing it that way. There's success in every path. You know what I'm saying? It's just that what I choose to do because of what I'm trying to accomplish. I want, I don't want to communicate. I don't want to be looked at as just another producer. I want to be looked at as the art director, creative director, administrative support, the publisher, the record label, whatever, as things move forward, because I'm more comfortable providing a service to many than to pouring only into myself and then trying to compete with the rest. That's not my vibe. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, man. Yeah, I love the way that you think about this stuff, man. I really appreciate you sharing it. Is there anything you want to share in terms of projects that you have kind of coming up? Working on the Black Panther compilation album. This will be the first official Black Panther release that won't that won't be uh uh dominated with the name Piccolo, right? Um so it'll be the first release that has a complete I won't say that because New Mecca is probably the first release that I'm I'm playing maybe 40% role on the whole album compared to everybody else's on there, you know. But I did a lot of the putting it all together. So I just dropped New Mecca, which has Mark Knox, Deli Got Beats, Keys and Mogul, Donald Smokes, Ilian Roswell, Obey, Critical, Stolen Drums, who mixed it and has drums on there. It's a great album. Uh, you can get all of my projects and all of my works at thenamic.com. But in the future, we're working on getting this compilation album together that will be the first time we consolidate and display our ability to create songs and themes that are cohesive in a project that feels like you can listen to it from one to beginning, one to end, beginning to end, and it's a movie, you know, uh, like how the 90s records used to be, 90s hip hop records used to be, it felt like, you know, a movie. Reminiscent of the Busta Rhymes, early, al- early Busta Rhymes albums, Reminiscent of some De La records, De La albums, but just more artistic. And just, again, showing the industry that you can put the art first and win, right? So recently, Robert Glasper, I'm I'm now dating this interview. Recently, Robert Glasper uh, won a Grammy for the best R&B album over Chris Brown. And if you know anything about Chris Brown, he basically gets the best producers and writers money can buy for every single album, right? And um, they shook up the industry with Robert Glasper winning that album being a guy who was known as a jazz guy um, because the new committee for the Grammys now are people who respect good music. So in an era where good music is now going to be receiving the highest levels of praise that we've always complained about, everything under that is up for grabs as well, whether people recognize that or not. So continuing to stay focused on putting out good quality music, developing my piano playing skills, my guitar, my bass, my drums, making sure that I can stand on my stand on like my musicianship as well as my ability to arrange. Those are, those are things you can look forward to from Piccolo, bringing a lot more of these legendary creatives 
uh, to the forefront with a way better packaged presence. You're going to be seeing that. You're going to see a lot more creatives who struggle with, you know, like Toru, you don't struggle with this, but uh, aesthetically showing up to match their, uh, what they're trying to do audio-tistically, if that's the word. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you've, you've found your voice visually and musically, and you're just staying consistent with putting out content. This is not something you wouldn't need, you wouldn't necessarily need my services, right? On the front end, right? It may be a vibe where we, because we kind of have the same sensibilities, we could just build and talk behind the closed doors. And I do, 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 do offer consulting for uh, creatives as well. But only thing you'll be seeing from me or anything I'm around is just better packaging, better presentation, more creative ideas for shows, for events, uh, for bringing the producer communities together. I have something really big I got coming up, but this ain't the this ain't the interview to talk about that yet because we're not we're in the baby stages. And if I put it out there, I think others will try to race us to the idea. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, I got some cool shit coming, man, and. Um, Always some cool shit. That's all. That's all we're about is just cool shit. And if we can't get, if we can't um, get paid to do cool shit, we'll continue to fund our own selves doing cool shit because cool shit is the priority. Yeah, that's what's up, man. And man, I appreciate the kind words. The compliment is not lost on me, man. So thank you. And we're all looking forward to the projects coming, man. And so with that, let's get into these last little kind of one hit things. Feel free to give me one word or as many as you want. Your go-to sound or instrument in the studio? Fender Rhodes. Boom. Go-to plug-in? Arcade. Favorite piece of gear? Physical? MPC, MPC 62. Cool. Three producers you think everybody could benefit from listening to and you can't use Dilla or Madlib? Producers, people would benefit listening to Quincy Jones, Babyface, and I'm trying to think of somebody a little bit more obscure. I do think DJ Quick is underrated. That's mm. um, one of the goats, but right I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put Quick there in that spot. That's what's up. Three favorite albums: Black Water for Chocolate, A Songs of the Key of Life. And Buster Rhymes, The Coming. Someone else you think I should talk to on this podcast? Mark Knox, Stolen Drums, Ilian Roswell, Donald Smokes. Favorite movie? It's a cross, it's a, it's a, it's a toss-up between Revolver. I've never seen that. Woo! By, with Jason Statham. It's an early Guy Ritchie. Oh, really? Yeah, I have to check that. I've never seen that. Um, Revolver, one of the best movies ever. Um, and the game. Wow, the Michael Douglas? Yes. Yeah, I recently watched that. Yeah, I love that. Really? Oh, yeah. wow, you recently watched that? I saw, the, I saw it when I was a kid, you know what I mean? And I, and like, I kind of already knew how it ended. So, I mean, I won't spoil in case anybody listening to this has already seen it. So I already knew how it ended because I had seen it as a kid. But, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I was so young. So I watched it again like, man, this was just a few months ago. I rewatched the whole thing. Yeah, it's a cool movie. And the last thing, man. If you were to do one thing that would break the internet, what would it be? It's a good thing I'm not using my first thought. If I would do one thing to break the internet. 
It would be it would be walking at and smacking Will Smith while he's giving an apology for smacking Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> How did you? Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, oh my god, <laughs> man! Um, wow, man! I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you sharing like all of your your enthusiasm for all of this. Is just like just like so apparent. And all the the talent and enthusiasm you bring to to the scene and the community in general. Like, thank you for making the time to share that. Before yeah. we get out of here, just share everybody with like the socials, um, the website where they can find you and follow along for all the past and upcoming projects. Yeah. So Piccolo Seven O's. Piccolo is a concept from um Dragon Ball. Um, and I embody the character of Piccolo. I just spell it P-I-K-L-O. Um, you can just Google Piccolo and have fun. Um, my social is Piccolo7Os. Quick interruption here. Just want to say that since this interview, Piccolo has changed his social handle. It is now Piccolo.pp, P-I-K-L-O.pp on Instagram. My website is thenamic.com, the N-A-M-E-K, T-H-E-N-A-M-E-K.com, where you'll find all the fun shit clothes and everything even the jacket i'm wearing green vine. well yeah so for those of you only listening you can feel free to check out the video and see that the jacket's worth buying check it out yeah thanks. thank you again man appreciate you man i appreciate you toru man i'm looking forward to the next few of these yeah likewise man appreciate you Peace. that's it for this episode of producer head appreciate you coming through and being a part of it my hope is that it helps you unlock a bit more creativity and find progress in a way that matters to you Before we go, there are three simple and zero cost ways to support the Producer Head podcast. One, tap in and subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether it be Spotify or Apple. Two, if you haven't already, drop a review on Apple or Spotify, maybe both if you're feeling it. The feedback is appreciated and helps me continue to do what's working while improving along the way. Three, send this episode to one person who would enjoy it. Do not underestimate the power of word of mouth. The most old school of methods are often the most effective. Finally, let's stay connected. I regularly share ideas that help me develop my creative process, along with music recommendations and even give away free music and sample packs. Head to torubeat.com, T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T.com and sign up to receive all of these things and stay up on all things producer head. You can also stay connected with me and the podcast at torubeat, T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. The theme music is one of my own songs. It is called Room to Breathe and available now on all streaming platforms. Again, for real, thank you so much for being here with me. And I look forward to catching you in the next episode of Producer Head. This has been Toru. And in a way, so are you. Peace.